Well, cool. Um, well, we left off uh, for uh, those of y'all who are part of this conversation and been a part of this conversation. We left off last week um, kind of with that, uh, Chris had tossed out that, what does the first conversation look like? What is that first conversation when you're going with somebody with the uh, intentionality of pursuing discipleship? What is the first conversation look like? Um, anybody remember some of the things that we hit on? Getting to know one another. Good. I wasn't here, so I'm going to stay out. So you're going to stay out of that? That's good. You mean you didn't call ahead and get the notes from last week? Oh. I'm total C and D team. Good. Dates, time, schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, expectations kind of can fit a lot into some of the date, time, frequency, but it can also be much more of like the content. What are we doing? Like, what's this for? What's our, what are our goals, perhaps? Um, what are we going to try to accomplish? What are we going to read? Certainly. Huh? Good, good. Some of the actual activities that you want to want to do. Maybe it would be a good thought to say, am I, am I going to open this in prayer? Am I going to uh, sit down and open God's word? What, what am I actually going to do and set as maybe some frequency of this is when we gather together, this is what we want to set to do? Good. Okay, and then, and then quickly, and that's where we really hit kind of a divergent last week, right, was um, uh, kind of talking about how so many, especially um, of those of y'all who have grown up in the Baptist church or grown up kind of in the Christian circles where this was kind of more normalized, a lot of times discipleship in a one-on-one -on -one setting and accountability were like equal terminologies. They were almost just like synonyms for one another. When we said gathering together with one other person for discipleship, um, that, that almost intrinsically meant that there was some level of accountability accountability that came from that. Um, and then Chris really kind of put on to, I know last week when he was saying, he, he, he did not at all want to minimize the idea of accountability when it comes to that discipleship relationship. He did not by any means want to minimize the importance of us as brothers gathering together and confessing and the confession of our sins is, is very, very important. Um, but at the same time, are they intrinsically linked? Is every form of discipleship have to have in a form of Maybe accountability of personal struggles or sins. I don't know that I can imagine a discipleship relationship where that wouldn't be there. Okay. As part of your walk with Christ, you've got to confess in some way what your sins are, what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with, what you need to work through to be able to be able to So I can't imagine, I mean, maybe, maybe there's a situation. Okay. When we're talking about struggles, I don't think that's exclusive to the temptation that we're facing or the sins that we have in our lives, but more like life pressures. Okay. So, uh, just the stress and the struggle of making it through without losing it. Okay. 
So you may be saying, so Reagan's almost saying that it's yes, he couldn't imagine it not having some of the struggles, and you're saying maybe not, but maybe not as the personal sins or the far extreme, but surely just like the authenticity of life, like the genuineness of, you know, if it's, if it's been one of those weeks, you know, you let them know it's one of those weeks. Okay, so maybe, a, was that in line with what you're saying, or you want to challenge that back? Maybe it's my definition of accountability. Okay. Good. But if I'm sharing my life in an intimate way, accountability is going to be there somewhere in some way, shape, or form. I don't think it can be void of it. I don't think that has to be the main focus of it. Okay. But I think it naturally would have to be there somewhere. Otherwise, you're probably holding something back. Okay. So still maybe with the authenticity. I think it kind of goes to expectations because it's probably too simplistic, but I think you can have accountability without discipleship being there. I don't think you can have discipleship without accountability being there. Okay. Um, if, if I'm struggling with a certain sin, Paul, I need you to meet with me every week and ask me this question. Ask me, am I, how have I done in this area? That's the point of us meeting is accountability because I need to, we may not talk about anything else. It may be short, but I need accountability because I'm struggling with this, and that's it. If we're discipling, if we're in a discipleship relationship, that's going to be one of many conversations that we're having. And so I feel like it's too simplistic, but accountability can exist, and that's the point of it. Discipleship is going to include accountability with that. Okay. But you could include it the exact other way, because discipleship is, is about following. <coughs> it's about becoming um, like the other person as they are in Christ. So that doesn't just mean, and I don't do this one thing, I don't sin. It could be I look to Paul as a shepherd. So that is absolutely of Christ, but I'm not sinning as I'm not a great shepherder. So I want to be discipled by Paul to become a better shepherder, a better leader. But there's there's accountability in are you becoming a better shepherder? There's not the traditional accountability of did you look at porn this week? Did you lust after women? Did you cuss? Uh, whatever it may be. I think <coughs> you're saying, Jeff, goes both ways. It can be accountability without discipleship. It can be discipleship without accountability. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and, and and for those again last week, Ryan Gardner said something similar, right? Like it's the hey, I just just met you or just got your name and we're hanging out, you know, having lunch. It's kind of first steps. And if you sit down and it's like, all right, tell me your dirt, he's like, I'm not telling you my dirt. You know, like it's gonna take something. You use the word trust. Okay. What else do you think like it's gonna take? Or some other expressions of of that. I look at uh, discipleship and accountability as almost like a, accountability is a byproduct of uh, discipleship more so than a structure point of discipleship. Uh, I think of discipleship like a pressing of olive oils or, or grape for grapes for wine. When you when you are discipled, you're being pressed and 
by design, you're going to be weaning yourself off. Being, things are going to be pressed out of you. Things are going to be pressed into you. Uh, and just as a byproduct of true discipleship, the accountability is going to be the seeing the fruit of, of that. You're, you're going to have the desire not to do this. You're going to have the desire to refrain from certain things. You're going to have more desire to do the things that God's calling you to do. I could be way off because I'm C and D team. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's marry those two comments. Let's put them together because you're saying that um, clearly we, we, have this, we have this kind of relationship between accountability and discipleship uh, that's going on. And, in, and clearly when it comes to the level of accountability, we say that there's probably some precursors that need to be in place in that uh, to, in order to get there. And you had listed trust as one of those. So if you started out with no trust, then it would be a worthwhile aim to build into trust to get to there at some point. And this is almost what you're saying of if there's a spectrum or if discipleship, true discipleship really coming to lead to accountability, if this is a, you know what, day one, we may not have it, but it's a good goal of an ideal to be striving towards, then maybe it is a spectrum of what it is to, to grow into that. What else is it besides just, I think, trust though? Kind of backing up in that conversation. What else do you need to have? Yeah, Frank. Okay. Yeah, this is this is this is a fantastic point. Well, kind of this is maybe a little bit of a soapbox or a, a tangent, but this is a really good illustration when we talk about trust. Um, we we need to understand that there's a difference between uh, tr- bestowing trust and being trustworthy. You know what I mean? Bestowing trust or being trustworthy, because this is one of those this is one of those weird things about uh, when it comes to sometimes character traits as they play out or are fleshed out into our lives. Um, uh, let's let's pick on John since he's sitting back there. So um, let's say you know for a fact I'm not too excited about that. <laughs> you you know for a fact that uh, uh, John um, handles money well. Now, that is a trait, like when you, when you interact with him, he seems to be on top of things. When he seems to be shaking his head, no. So uh, this is, this is but how, much, how much trust is he building up in you in this moment? But let's say you do know everything you observe about him uh, means he, he handles, he seems to handle his money well. He seems not to be um, just kind of flashing it about or wasting it on different things. Uh, and let's say all of a sudden you get a letter in the mail that says your, your uh, um, second, third removed rich uh, uncle had passed away who you had never met, but he actually just left you $2 million. And you're just like, what am I going to do with this? And man, I want to steward it well. And then, and then, then pops John into your mind. You know what, John, uh, he, he, he's a guy who handles money well. Uh, how many of y'all are going to give John a phone call and say, John, I really want to give you this, this $2 million. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> nobody's going to give, nobody's going to give John $2 million. But has John ever mistreated any one of your money? I mean, right now, John's batting 100%. Not a single person in this room has ever had John misuse your money. He seems exactly trustworthy, right? His percentage is entirely for him. So why aren't you signing over that check? Now, here's the other thing. Can you? Is it a possibility for you to take that money and you know it, and say, I'm going to sign that over to John. Is that a possibility? Yeah. Now, what if you actually know John, 
to not be a good manager of money. That if you're like, every time I see that guy, I mean, he is just wasting and blowing money like left to right. He always has the newest toys. He doesn't take care of them. He's living way above his means. Is it a possibility for you to still write that check and give him $2 million to keep for you? Here's, it, it is possible. Here's the weird thing. No matter how trustworthy you are, if you, we all, we all admit as men, we want to be trustworthy men. That would be a character trait we would love to be defined by. But no matter how good we are at actually living that out, we could be the most trustworthy person and yet somebody could choose not to trust you, correct? Being a trustworthy person doesn't dictate others' actions to put trust into you. Hopefully it helps, helps ease them into putting that trust, but it has actually nothing to do. The measure of your trustworthiness has nothing to do with how many people actually trust you. It has everything to do with what you know and what you can control is how trustworthy you are. But the act of putting trust into somebody else is on them. It's not on you being trustworthy. And in the same way, you can bestow that trust wisely or unwisely, like writing John a check for $2 million, <laughs> right? So in a discipler's relationship, there is this kind of a weird dynamic that you, especially if you're the initiator, if you're the discipler, of course, what, is your, what are you going to strive to be? Trustworthy. Is your success on you being trustworthy dependent upon them actually putting their trust into you? Yeah. It has absolutely nothing to do with you that keeps them from trusting you, let alone anyone else. Okay. Anybody else? Am I going to go against that? That if you were a discipler and you were trustworthy... Okay, good. If you're doing everything you should, whether or not they respond, you can define success as delivering everything they're going to in that process. Yeah. I think this is, this is, a, this is a paramount conversation to, to think of it in terms of you can do everything right and you can have your versions of success. You can have your performance measures of what you would like to see. You could set goals of why you're being intentional with that person. Uh, you can set all of that up on the front end as somebody going to step into the relationship as the discipler. And yet that disciplee could respond to little or none of those things. And yet that's no dictation of whether you did the right thing or not. Or whether you're sta you, you standing accountable for God Almighty and saying, this is what I did. And he may say, good, thank you, good and faithful servant, right? When the fact that everybody you tried didn't actually absolve to it. And this, I would play back into a bigger conversation because this same truth that we just outlined about trust, I would say in the same conversation about leadership. And what we're calling in this sense, followership, right? 
Now, this is actually a key concept to discipleship, as y'all defined it, right? What did y'all define? Define discipleship as the intentional process of influencing someone to become more like you in some way that you are more like Christ. Essentially what you're calling them to do, and this is what um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, be imitators of me as I'm an imitator of Christ, or as some versions say, follow me as I follow Christ. When you are saying, follow me, you're inherently making a call to somebody else to respond that your measure of how good of a follower you are has nothing to do with actually how they follow. I mean, this is kind of a, one of those, this is one of those certainly countercultural examples, right? Because how do you know a good leader? In this world, how do you know a good leader? How many followers they have? That's right. Yeah. What else is it? No, no. I think this is, this is, this is tracking along. Because what, what else? What else would the world say? What else by all standards would you say, how would you measure a good leader? I mean, we all know good leaders in our work environments, in our professional lives, results oriented. So not just that what they can accomplish, but what is accomplished by who they lead. Character, let's hope so. Not necessarily in a worldly sense, right? We know plenty of really good leaders who are actually piss poor characters, right? It's worth saying when it's in the assault of our character, right? Okay, they work hard. They work hard. Charisma. Good. It's, so even quickly, it's back to what? how many other people follow. So take, take in the sense of that. So if everything we know of like what makes a good leader and somehow whether it's back to if uh, they work hard so others are inspired to work hard and are actually working hard underneath them uh, or if uh, they have a charisma, a charismatic spirit to them that draws others to follow them. Any, any form of what the world is going to say is going to say that a, a leader is going to be measured by the performance of his followers. So let's stop and let's take that worldly definition because I don't think we're inaccurate by a worldly definition. Let's take that worldly definition and let's apply it to our Lord and Savior. Was he a good leader? No. Why? Yeah. Yeah. If you go by that definition, how else? That's right. Let's. Okay, good. That's a good clarification. Let's say it as that. Let's say before Jesus himself and dwelt inside of them through the person of the Holy Spirit and accomplished the work that was created in them, when they were walking with him and alongside of him, when he was the physical embodiment of their leader to them, his followers, how good of a measure in our worldly definition do those disciples attest and attain to Jesus' leadership? They were confused most of the time. Yeah. And, and who's the discipler and who's the, the E and the or or whatever. I, I think a lot of this, one of we've talked about a lot, is the Holy Spirit. Hmm. If I'm in a discipleship relationship, we're both going to learn because he's doing it. 
And whoever the leader is so far behind where Jesus is, we're both in that position. And so I might be a half step ahead of you in this, but we're leagues behind him in all of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and ultimately, they're going to be held responsible not to you, right. but to that spirit, right? right? And I to him also. And, I, and you to him also. It's so, measure you're doing yeah and we could even say in one then that relationship one could be responding to the spirit and the other could be squelching the spirit right in the same way that both could be succeeding both could be failing or one could be succeeding one could be failing but it's not ultimately the responsibility of the one discipling for the measure of the response of the follower it is the faithfulness to the call to follow and the faithfulness to how i am following as an example that I'm pitching out here, that's what you're held to. It's kind of in the same way or the same vein of, of what is successful in getting a girl to go on a date with you. Well, we would all like to say that she went on the date with you. But who is that ultimately up to? Her. What is your response or your initiation in that? You got to ask. You got to get there. You got to be the one who's, who's tossing it out there. And you know what? You would hope that the Spirit's there and that there would be response and that they would follow, but it may not. But that doesn't change what you do. Does that make sense? So your accountability as a leader is not how many you follow necessarily, but how and where you lead. That's the accountability as a leader. It's not how many you follow. Yeah. That's exactly what I would say. I, because we all know Jim Jones led a bunch of people, you know, right. and, um, but not to the right place. Right. And, I'll, I'll just use an example. I served under uh, General Mattis, who we called, affectionately called the monk because he wasn't married. Mad Dog was a media term for him. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, there's nothing I wouldn't have done for that man, you know. And I think my fellow Marines had the exact same feeling about him, too. And that, to me, was a quality leader, you know. Mm-hmm. He inspired us. Mm-hmm. He inspired us and to do a good job and to, to be the best that we could as individual Marines. And so I think that's the quality of a good leader. Yeah. I think that there's a byproduct that happens here. That that's, we don't want to dismiss the byproduct. That obviously, you know, if, if you are leading well, and, if you're, or, and again, using our terminology probably better, if you are following Christ and calling others to follow you, if you're doing that well, you would want the byproduct of that to be multiplied and to have good results. But it's not dependent on those things. So you'd, naturally, we would think that that would be, and it may not even be a bad performance measure to want and to strive for that to happen. But ultimately, I think in the relationship, sometimes when, especially those who maybe have never engaged in that discipleship um, and relationship, when we talked about those fears the week prior and then last week, right? The, some of the fears is maybe, well, am I going to be successful at it? Well, that's inherently, if you're asking that question, as a demotivator to even starting, then you're missing the whole point of what you're actually doing. What you're held to is to follow, ask others to follow you, and then you're taking that out, taking that call, asking that girl to dance, even if she says no. Yeah. Hmm. 
Ja. So there's a lot of things in this relationship we're not in control of. But it doesn't mean that we aren't being stewarded with it. And we're given the call to exercise in the best practice as possible. Almost as if you were in control. But it's a dangerous thing when you actually believe the lie that you are and control those results. And instead, you just have to be faithful with what you have. That makes sense? It's good? Tracking so far? Good. Good. Yeah. That's right. That's the that's the preacher standing up. You know what's wrong with this church? You jokers. No, I'm saying it right. You're all the ones who's messing it up, right? No. And and we kind of talked about that almost a little bit even last week too, um, because we have a key word in our definition that I think. I think describes or changes this. And that was where we were going with this idea of intentionality, right? That there's this concept of, what, what was it again? That it is the intentional process of influencing someone to become more like you in some way that you are more like Christ. There is that intentionality, that step that I am, I am actually doing this. That if, if, if it's not, if it's the, you know, I stand, I, our illustration we used last time is like, Lord, I stood in the lake waiting to baptize somebody and I was going to baptize anybody you sent my direction. Well, how many people did you baptize? No one. No one came out there. And they're like, well, yeah, because you looked like a crazy loon standing out in the lake by yourself. You never made the intention. You never made the step. It's about your action. You never went in, made the intention to then welcome that relationship. Even if they say no, even if they don't follow, even if the results aren't the way you would like them to be, ultimately you're held to a different standard as they're held to a higher standard. But your standard, at least you know and are set in front of you, is to go and to do. And I want to kind of, on that note of intentionality, let's, uh, let's maybe ask another question because I think I want, to, I want to kind of marry, I guess, again, our, our, the way we started and then the way we off-tracked and then kind of where we are. What is, maybe what is the difference between intentionality, um, and a word we've used a couple times, formality. What is, the intention, what is the difference between being intentional and being formal? Good. And inherently probably looks organized, polished, well, suit and tie. Intentional seems to be more of a volitional decision as opposed to form being a decision made Okay. So then there's there's ways here. I'm saying there's there is ways that they are clearly different. Or maybe I should say there's ways that they're not necessarily linked. But does that mean they could never be linked? Yeah. 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 
more focused on the process, where intentionality is a lot more focused on the goal. Okay. Because I think this is a key, this is going to be a key understanding, especially on how we define discipleship and the success. Because oftentimes when we ask these um, big-ended questions about discipleship, where do we end up? Well, we end up with starting with an ideal that has everything and always thinking that that is the model, that that, that, that is the model that I need to be doing and holding as a standard. And that it's, it's everything all together put in to the perfect form. So it's starting with, a, starting with a prayer of the saints written in the 1800s and moving over into an interpretive exegesis of the Bible and then having into the uh, core concepts of, of what it is in our character and our lives and our struggles and then following up with a, uh, an, a, a personal, real confession of sin and accountability and then closing in prayer, right? That that's what discipleship model should be because that would be an ideal. Now, again, all of us are going to hear that and say, is that a bad thing? Well, no, of course it is. Is that then the only measure of discipleship when that all happens? I'd almost even maybe back it up and say, is that true discipleship and everything else is just a watered down discipleship? What do y'all think? Yeah. So off of that, let me ask another question. Let me mix it up. How, how much is enough in reading your Bible? We all know we should read God's Word. So what is it? <laughs> 15 minutes a day, you good with that? Daily, is that a good measure? Once a week, is that a good measure? Yeah. Anybody John MacArthur's in here? Anybody be like, ah, 31 and a half, that joker. <laughs> what are you getting out of it? Huh? Where am I going with the question? No, what oh, what are you getting out of it? Oh, that's not the question. It's how much is enough. 
the measure of something like that, you're never going to reach that mark. Maybe the question is, are you intentional about making that a key part of your life, yes or no? Okay. Okay, so that's good. That's, that's good. Well, we'll move off of that then. So how... I did my five hours, I, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that may be how that, that may just be reading God's word. That may be a standalone. So what about prayer? How much is enough? Prayer in a week. You know what, prayer, that's, that's another, that's a hard, how much, how about fasting? How often should we fast? I could go a few weeks. Or silence and solitude. You're like, I got plenty to spare. Summer's coming. Get it off. Lose the winter insulation, Right. No, I think, and again, I think what you're saying is, in, is, is exactly right. And of course, we see the ludicrousy when we apply it in such a specific terms. But this is, this is what we're talking about in any spiritual discipline. When we talk about a spiritual discipline like this, the measure is never clear cut. It's never, you know, it's, it's not, okay, open up to uh, the book of opinions. It's just past Jude. And then right there it says, thou shalt read your Bible 90 minutes a day to feel successful as a good Christian. And then you get your merit badge, right? Like that's not in there. And so we know that when it comes to this concept of a spiritual discipline, we have to understand that there can't be some hard, fast rule. That's what legalism does. And what does that produce? Well, that produces the Jews of the faith that, what does Christ say to them? Woe to you, right? So we know it's not legalism in any of this, but that there's some other standard into it. And yet we understand that when it comes to spiritual disciplines, which is just the practice of an institution that God has given you to encourage you in your walk or following him. So if that is part of us following him, why don't we apply that to the same institution he's given us of discipleship? So what is discipleship in that term is again, that you are stewarding your piece of this, being intentional with how you follow to call somebody to follow you. So where does that start? How does that begin? Because that's how we, again, kind of picked up is like, okay, so what, what does that first conversation look like? What do you, when, if you're going to start this, if the concept is starting this, then it may be good for you to first realize where you are in the process. Because if you're sitting here and you're like, you know what, I've never been in a discipleship relationship, then maybe starting one that is going to be the perfect ideal isn't where you're ready to jump into that discipline. That's like, and I say, I just say this to students all the time. When our students would talk to, talk to me about, um, you know, needing to read God's word, of course they would hear that in church and they would need to begin. And here's, here was this seventh grade boy who walked up to me and said, you know, Paul, I really want to read God's word more. I think I'm going to try 30 minutes a day every day as my, as my measure. And I'd be like, great, you know, that is, that is awesome. That is awesome if you can do that. Hey, real quick, starter question. How much are you doing now? And they're like, well, maybe, I mean, I know on Sundays we read the Bible. No, 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 on your own. How much now on your own? Uh, maybe once a week. Okay, cool. Like, that is, that's great. Like, it's great that you're faithful in once a week. How about this? You're going from once a week to a goal of every single day. Y'all, y'all spell it out. Y'all tell me, how's that, how's that normally happen then? What happens? How many days? A few days. And then what happens? Nope. That was hard. I'm not going to do it. And then what happens? And you give up and you go back to once a week. So if you are, if you know, if you look at yourself and you really realize, you know what, I'm a once a day. I mean, I'm a once a, once a week person. What, what maybe should be your next step? 
maybe twice a day, right? And again, this makes sense when we put it onto our spiritual disciplines. So why doesn't it make sense when we talk about discipleship as well? If you look at yourself and you're like, you know what? I, I've never done this. I've never had it modeled for me. I've never really done it either. Um, so maybe your starting place, success isn't necessarily that you end at the end goal of idealism, but that success is that you take that next step. You know what? Maybe it's not calling somebody to follow me in every single way that I follow Christ. But I'm going to call them to follow me in one way that I follow Christ. Going way back to the other thing. This is what I think I would talk about. Of um, Back to that, that kind of murky back and forth we did between discipleship and accountability. Can you have discipleship without accountability on the sense of like the traditional way that we would all think about it. I think you can, because look at your definition. You're being intentional to follow that inspires other people to follow you, right? So maybe that's just in one small piece. I think this, for those of y'all who are trying to say, how do I, how do I start discipleship? I think this is one of those key starting places, is what do you have? Because ultimately, if you give something, you should hopefully give what you have. So what do you have to give? And then find somebody to give it to. And the same way, if you're looking for somebody to disciple you, if you've never done that, this is what Chris was saying as a good primer, maybe start with what you don't have. And then what do you do? You find somebody who can give it, right? I think it can be I think when we, when we, the danger of going just with the ethereal idealism is that then you have no starting point. And when you've never engaged into it, that everything then is just kind of failure or subpar. But I don't think that discipleship that doesn't include everything means it's not true discipleship or subpar. Can discipleship include it all? Yes. Can it include one thing? Yes. Can it include three things? Yes. What is the difference in all of those things, whether you are intentionally doing it? Are there things that you feel, I mean, not, not from a time standpoint, uh, you know, maybe you make once a month for an hour or whatever, so I can see how that, you know, kind of varies. Are there things that you feel are essential regardless of what sort of form it takes? Well, these things kind of have to be there, otherwise it's not discipleship. So, like, like prayer or uh, sure. Yeah. What would you say? So here, here, let me maybe break it into another conversation. And this is actually what, um, this was the only, the only uh, uh, thing Chris asked me to cover. Um, and here we are with 11 minutes left and I haven't even talked about it. Um, so thanks for that segue. And this will be a, maybe a partial conversation into it. Um, uh, but I think one key aspect in understanding this um, is how we understand the teachable moment how we capture the teachable moment. Because this is one of the cool things about what we see about our Lord and Savior in Scripture. When you read the Gospels and when you see uh, Jesus there, he does it, there's not a whole lot of Jesus coming in and standing up on a stage and having everybody sit down and talk. That happens, but most of the teaching that we have in the discipleship is what? I mean, in the Gospels is what? With his disciples, his guys. 
And, and how do those conversations come about? Walking down the road. What else? How do those conversations come about? I don't get this. They ask questions. Sometimes they're not asking questions, but who asks questions? Not necessarily Jesus. I was meaning external, not Jesus. Huh? Good. Sometimes there's the scribes and Pharisees coming in to challenge. And Jesus said, you know what? I'll take that challenge and let me make it a teachable moment. Sometimes it was just totally external. Here's Nicodemus showing up on the scene. What do you mean by this rabbi? Here's the woman at the well showing up and what it is. But here are these instances. What we see oftentimes when we look through, even those stories in particular, is we see in everyday life happenings that then turn into a capturing of a teachable moment and teaching that teachable moment. I think that there is, an, as far as, as like what is a, a good core something we can grasp onto and say no matter what form of discipleship is it what's one measure that we can all relate to and I think some of it is are you teaching are you taking those moments and teaching you taking life that is going on and teaching something with it captivating the teachable moment I always use this kind of a, as a good example and since I've stole Lance's hat I'll, I'll, I'll use it um, this is this was the uh, uh, the first time I was ever, uh, I'd say, exposed to the concept of a teachable moment. Um, it was by, uh, by my grandfather, who uh, uh, actually did not know a ton uh, about, he was not a woodsy type person, um, but he lived here in beautiful East Texas, and he cared about what trees he had in his yard. And, uh, and I, as a kid growing up in Dallas, uh, did not understand that there were things that grew out of not concrete and didn't have lights at the end of them called trees. Uh, and so I didn't know anything. And so in his backyard walking around, you know, you'd walk over to a tree and you'd be like, all right, Paul, tell me what this is. So y'all's turn, audience participation. Pine tree. Anybody, anybody know what type of pine tree? Short. It's the short leaf. You're, you'd need to examine it, but it's the short leaf pine tree. Um, how about this guy? Sweet gum tree. Anybody? What kind of oak? Those three? Close enough. I don't know. I didn't look at the bark, but a pin oak, a water, I'm going to rule out water oak. Water oak's the skinnier. Yeah, yeah, but a poison oak. <laughs> Elm, good. That was kind of hard to see. It's oak again. Red oak. Yeah, there was close. It's, it's for post oak people. I think I thought I grabbed a post oak. It probably fell out. Lance, your head's not big enough. The, um, uh, yeah, it's tipped onto the end. So this one's red oak. If it didn't have the tips and it was in the rough shape of the cross, you'd probably be close with the post oak. Cedar. You know, in, in the state of Texas, there's over, or not the state of Texas, in the United States, there's over 400 subcategory species of oak trees. Over 400 different ones. And how do you know one oak tree from another oak tree? How do you tell one oak tree from another oak tree? You have to look at its what? Its leaves. What do you call what a tree bears? You call it its fruit. Hey, you know what? Jesus said something about fruit. 
He said in Matthew, actually, chapter 7, that they will know you and who you are by the fruit that you bear. You know, isn't that a cool thing that God's left us this example? This is what my grandfather did, is that in a moment, he was just doing something. He was just doing life. He was just passing on a skill, right? And actually, maybe, or just making something interesting, right? He was just walking around through nature. He was looking at trees. He was teaching his grandson about trees. And then he stopped and said, in this moment, this is, this is a teachable moment. We're having a moment, so let me make it teachable by pointing to God's word. And that's all that I feel like. There's, there's a simplicity to captivating the teachable moment in the sense of just taking whatever moment that it is that you are sharing. And if discipleship is that you're, you're engaging somebody else, you've intentionally invited them to come and follow you as you're following Christ. So you're doing life following Christ. And in that moment, when there is a moment in that process of you following Christ that you can teach that to somebody, I would say that, if you're intentionally doing it, is intentional discipleship. And as you're going along with life, you're seizing those moments and turning them and making them a discipling uh, opportunity. And this is what I would say of maybe even again, this is why I wanted to challenge a little bit with formal and uh, intentional. Is because again, when we go just default to the formality of it all, we think we need to have all these systems into place and, and we need to accomplish all these different things. Uh, and where can, is there a total appropriate place for all of that? Yes. But within that, is there any other example that is just as noble and just as right Yes, it's taking any intentional moment where you are following Christ and you've called somebody to follow and you've taught them how to do that, whatever that it is. It's seizing this teachable moment. You know, I just did a, uh, uh, actually did a teachable moment just with the, uh, with the high school guys, um, uh, just even this last, uh, last Sunday night. Um, we used to have a house, if those of you all don't know, there used to be a house kind of on the corner of the, of the property up there. And we've sold off that little uh, trailer. And, and then uh, now there's just all the wood that's remnants out there. And we put a big dumpster out there. And so um, I took the, the high school boys before we started our Bible study and went out there with a chainsaw and started cutting up some of that uh, uh, lumber down into old rot out lumber down into pieces we could throw into the, uh, into the dumpster. And we had a, uh, we had a moment. Now, there was this big deck. It was probably maybe 20, that would be an exaggeration, maybe 15 by 10, um, you know, wood deck all the way across. And so I went over there and I, and I, uh, uh, I cut it into thirds so that we could sort of fit into the dumpster. And we needed all the boys on this. We got the first one and we got it and we walked it all over and heaved it up in there. And we got the second one, we picked it up and we went over there. And when we got to the third one, I said, okay, guys, let's stop for a moment. Let's, let's have a pause. Um, let me ask you a question. How many, how many, knowing we just picked up the other two, this one's about the same size. There's nothing special or different about this. Uh, how many of us do you think could stand on the middle uh, with the rest of us still being able to accomplish picking it up and walking over to the dumpster? And in the, in the quandary, and I was like, what's the quandary there? And what they had to wrestle with is I said, you know, I told them like, you need to challenge yourself. You don't need to just say one just because it's accomplishable when two was accomplishable as well. You need to challenge yourself uh, and, and determine, come back together. And of course, as any, anytime you ask a, uh, a group of over a dozen high school boys to make a unanimous decision, uh, the fun ensues from there. Uh, but somehow in all this process, they decided on, on three. They were going to start with three. Not even the three lightest ones. I gave up on understanding that one. Um, but they, they, uh, they picked three boys. 
And, uh, uh, and so those three boys got on top. And they, I was like, all right, y'all good with this. Everybody's good. We're going to try with those, these three. And uh, they're like, yeah, Paul, we're ready to try. I was like, okay, great. And so we all went in there and all picked up. And we couldn't even get off the ground. <laughs> like, it was like, well, that was a just bomb right off the bat. And so then it was like, okay, now what? Now what do we do? We just failed. Now what do we do? Uh, and, of course, they're like, oh, well, maybe let's scale it back. Let's... Um, maybe instead of three, let's try two. And then they had a whole nother argument about which two they should pull off and which one they put on. Uh, and one of them, man, he had a great argument. He was like, if you pull me off this thing, I'm not lifting when I get down there. I'm going to fake it. And they still pulled him off and he did that. He faked it the rest of the time. Uh, he was true to his word. I was like, you, you at least were honest. Um, uh, but then they put, then they had two up there and then they, we got it up that time, but then it was like trying to walk and it was like, no, 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 right back down. Uh, and so then they had to choose the one and then out of the one, which one of the one, uh, and then they finally picked it up and moved it over there, and we kind of called them together, and I was like, hey, you know, again, that was fun. Uh, what I did there was I created an experience. We just had an experience. This is what, again, life together, this was just, we, we shared an experience, something memorable, an experience that they're, that they're going to remember, that they participated in, had fun with, uh, were a part of, I set up for them, and they, they then had that experience, so I gave them that experience, and then I took that experience that I gave them, and I said, you know what, let me call you all around, let's discuss the experience we just had. And in the same way, I walked through what we just did tonight, walked through with them when it comes back to that spiritual, those spiritual disciplines. And then I said, and one of the concepts that we had been working through and talking about throughout the whole semester, anyways, in the study, I kind of said, okay, we all know we have agreed, we have room to improve on those things, so what is the right amount in trying that? What do you do when you set a spiritual goal and you fail at it? Do you just give up and walk away? No, you reduce it and you find a goal that's measurable. And we talked about the, the a lot of it was coming off the concept of, of Christ's call to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. We have quite a goal set in front of us. So what do we do? Obviously, when we fail at that, well, we set it back and try again. We don't just give up and wallow and just say, oh, I'm not worth anything and don't even try. No, we just set something that's measurable. These are the teachable moments. And I think there's some key, key parts or key uh, uh, principles to having or creating teachable moments. Um, one is I think you need what I call the, um, uh, the catalyst, the moment that you jump in on. This was an old, um, uh, this is what Focus on the Family called it um, when, they, when they taught on um, teachable moments. They called it the catalyst. And the catalyst was, was whatever it was. And so in my case, it was an experience, right, that I was creating for them. It may not be an experience. It may be a, uh, it may be a story um, that my grandfather was telling me about trees and his time out there that he took a story and did it. Um, maybe, maybe it's, um, again, in these relationships as you have them together, maybe it's just as easy as some of the conversations. You're asking questions, and by the conversation, we're having a conversation, so that's the catalyst. Something, an aha moment comes out of that conversation that you can move to teach, right? So you have to have, I think, a catalyst, some event, some action, some story, and what, what, you, what moves uh, a, a catalyst further down the pipeline into a teachable moment is you have to cash that against a relationship. You know, you could be standing out again and creating all these teachable moments, but if you don't have a relationship with anybody to call them in, then you're not going to have anybody to call into that teachable moment. So I think you, you have a relationship, I think you have a catalyst, and then I think you bring them towards biblical truth. Now you just take what is real and in life and tie it in 
to what the, what the word says. Truth. So again, I think that is, if you're going to, if you're going to seek out being an intentional discipler, somebody who is following Christ and intentionally calling somebody to follow you, how does that look? How does that play out? Whatever form it plays out or whatever it looks like, I think it's, it's capturing these moments, these teachable moments that in that relationship of them following you, you seize these catalytic moments and you teach something from it. And that could be very formal and very complete, or it could be very simple and in a one-time moment. This is what we do with our kids, right? When you're walking through the parking lot and you find, you find uh, some guy's wallet sitting on the ground or your kid runs over to you and says, look, daddy, I found this. And what do you do? John's like, you pocket it because all these jokers are going to give me $2 million. <laughs> no, you, you go and you turn it in. But then what do you do? You turn it in, you walk away? No, you stop, right? You tell your kid why you did that. You say, hey, this is, this is why I did that. What are you doing there? What is that called with your kids when you do that? You take teachable moments and you teach them something. What is that called? You're modeling it. You're raising them. You're parenting them and you're discipling them. But that's what it is. You took a teachable and intentional moment and taught something out of it that it communicates about character, about truth, about what it means to follow Christ. And do you always even have to have that from how you did it well? Well, it may be like, it may be, it may be, I, I'm, I'm sorry, honey, I yelled at you. Hey, let me, let me pause. Daddy shouldn't have done that. But let me tell you something. You know, daddy did that. There's a daddy who doesn't do that. And that's the one I really want you to know, right? It doesn't even have to be that you have it all together to offer it. You're just intentional in taking the moment and pointing to the one who does. Now you're trying to follow him in the ways that you're doing it well and the ways that you aren't even doing it well. You can be real and you can be authentic and you can share that with our kids, with our coworkers, with those that we engage with even in the church knowing, you know what, you have something, I, I have something that I can give to you. So let me seize that and give it to you. And what Lance said is probably another good point. That is out of the, if I remember it correctly, that is out of the, I don't love the line um, probably because of my vocation, but out of the focus on the family, they say a key aspect to do it is that you, uh, that you teach, not preach. And my, you can go back and forth on what that really means. But yeah, you can keep it simple. Does simplicity mean that it undoes the success of what you're accomplishing? No. They're your kids. Your kids are going to have different ways to process. I'm going to explain turning in the wallet differently to my four-year-old than some of y'all are going to be with your high schooler, right? All right, we're five minutes over. We good on that? We'll pick back up probably more because I'm sure Chris is going to have more to add to this concept of a teachable moment. Um, and, we, and he has some funny stories, so... Hopefully it'll worth sharing some of those. But uh, let's, yeah, let's close. Let's pray in that because it can't be a good Christian meeting if we don't close in prayer. 
Uh, Father God, Lord, uh, thank you that you call us to a faith that isn't uh, by any means something we can be successful at on our own, uh, but one that we are desperate for you um, to accomplish in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that as we seek to follow you, may we be intentional in calling others to follow us. Um, Father, for those of us who are, um, you know what, doing, doing discipleship well and having lots of opportunities to do it well, um, Father, convict us. Show us, show us in our hearts of what, how can we take it to that next step? How can we take what we know what we're doing and just be even challenged all the more to be dependent upon you to do it even greater in a different way? Father, for those of us who may be not doing it very well or maybe not doing it, period, may we find just through your Spirit's illumination the, the way to start uh, to say, you know what, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to pick one way, one way, one person, and I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to be dependent upon you to see the outcome. Uh, Father, whatever it is, may, may we, through your power, identify who we are and that we are truly yours. And may we respond then as yours to call others to be like you in the way that you're making us like you. Praise things in your name. Amen.